This is a Federal News Network podcast. It may not look like it from the television images, but Immigration and Customs Enforcement does maintain standards for the detention of illegal immigrants. But it doesn't always follow them. And that's what the Homeland Security Office of Inspector General found at the La Palma Correctional Center in Eloy, Arizona, one of 200 such facilities around the country. Here with the details, we've got the Principal Deputy Inspector General of DHS, Glenn Sklar. Mr. Sklar, good to have you on. Great to be on. Thank you. And OIG Senior Advisor, Ellen McSweeney. Ms. McSweeney, good to have you on. Thank you for having us. Okay, let's set the scene here. What is La Palma? How large is it? And uh, tell us about what it is you were looking at and for what period of time here. Yeah, Tom, the La Palma Correction Center is a privately owned and privately managed detention center for men in Eloy, Arizona. And this facility is under contract with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a.k.a. ICE. And at the time of our inspection, La Palma housed over 1,100 detainees. And we conducted our inspection between August 2020 and November 2020. That was during the height of the pandemic. There had been an outbreak in August 2020 where 17% of all detainees tested positive for COVID-19. So we inspected detainee housing units, kitchen areas, medical units, recreational units, and other common areas. Got it. So these are people that have been detained by ICE, and then they have one of 200 places they can place these people while their immigration status is determined or a court decides? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And what was your inspection methodology? Because were you able to go there in person or your you know, OIG staff, given the fact that the COVID was at its high point at that point? Well, Tom, typically our unannounced inspections happen in person. We just show up. And we'd be on-site and conduct an on-site visual inspection at each detention center. For example, we'd walk through the facility, we'd document the review, we'd interview the facility staff, the detainees, etc. But as you might imagine, COVID-19 really limited our ability to conduct these type of inspections for both the safety of our own staff and the safety of the detainees. So we had to improvise during the pandemic and try out a virtual inspections methodology. So during our virtual inspection, we used video applications to perform a virtual walkthrough of the facility. So we directed the detention facility personnel on a route of where to walk and where to film. And our inspectors selected different days and times to look at video surveillance footage from different housing units. We also asked for logs, which document staff's use of non-lethal force, and we compared those logs to video footage. We also interviewed ICE and detention facility staff, including ICE oversight staff, medical staff, compliance officers, and so forth. But most importantly, we spoke to the detainees themselves to evaluate their conditions of their confinement. Wow. And so that was fairly comprehensive, even though you could not be on site, it sounds like. That's correct. All right. And uh, well, what did you find? There are standards for detention, right? Correct. Let's go there first. And uh, these are written and approved by ICE senior staff? Yes, ICE has long operated under a set of detention standards. The standards date back actually to 2000. They were developed under the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. But since that time, with input from a wide variety of public and private stakeholders, ICE has actually revised the standards. We applied the 2011 performance-based national detention standards, which were last updated in 2016. And according to ICE, the standards establish consistent conditions of confinement, programs and operations, and management expectations within the overall ICE detention system. 
That is not necessarily what we found, however, and I can segue to that if you like, would yes. like, Tom. Yes, we're speaking with Ellen McSweeney. She's senior advisor to the Office of Inspector General and to Glenn Sklar, the principal deputy inspector general of Homeland Security. And uh, what did you find? And what were the shortfalls? Well, we found numerous deficiencies. During our unannounced inspection of La Palma, we identified violations of the standards that threaten the health, safety, and rights of detainees. Let me note up front that we found La Palma complied with ICE detention standards regarding classification of detainees according to their relative levels of risk. However, detainee reports and grievances allege an environment of mistreatment and verbal abuse, including in response to detainee peaceful protests of the facility's handling of the pandemic. And here I can uh, indicate that on April 11th and 13th, detainees in La Palma held peaceful protests at the facility because they felt La Palma was not providing appropriate protective equipment to them to prevent the spread of COVID. A letter signed by 182 detainees indicates the facility responded by using pepper spray, pepper balls, chemical agents, and also punished protesting detainees with lengthy stays in segregation. We confirmed the use of chemical agents, not only through this evidence, but also through our obtaining surveillance videotapes. We also reviewed 27 reported use of force incidents at the facility that occurred between February 1st, 2020 and August 24th, 2020. And we found that in 11 of these incidents, facility staff used chemical agents to gain detainee compliance. With regard to the detainees' objections about COVID-19 preparation, we did also confirm that although La Palma officials took some measures to prevent the spread of COVID, for example, they served meals in detainee housing areas and restricted visitation, but they did not ensure detainees wore masks and practice social distancing. Another big problem we found was a critically understaffed medical unit that did not provide prompt treatment or refill detainee prescriptions. We identified 21 vacancies during the time of our inspection, so there was a 71% positions filled only. This is not surprising that given these vacancy rates, La Palma did not provide timely care to detainees with regard to sick call requests. Actually, detainees had to wait an average of 3.35 days to receive care. And another deficiency was that La Palma, through the medical unit, did not automatically refill chronic care medication, which resulted in delays for detainees to obtain crucial medication. In one instance, an individual suffering with leukemia was not afforded timely medication. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, this is a contractor-run facility. Is there any ICE staff there in general to supervise what's going on? And how did this get to this point without some supervision by ICE itself of its own contractor? Well, you know, you're zeroing in on exactly one of the key dimensions of our review, and that is there was a lack of oversight by ICE. The standards are very detailed, and private contractors like La Palma are obligated to follow them. But you're right, it's incumbent upon ICE to make sure that they do so. Now, in this case, ICE actually does periodically or did periodically have detention officers on site, ideally to respond to detainee concerns. But given COVID, they had scaled that back so that the officers were available telephonically. One of our findings was that ICE did not properly educate detainees as to when they could speak with a deportation officer. The standards require posting information such as the specific days and times when deportation officers would be available to communicate. We found that ICE did not do that, and as a result, we found communication deficiencies. Yeah, so this place was really kind of a mess then, and uh, have they cleaned it up since? I imagine your recommendations went to the heart of all of these issues, medical staff, proper treatment by the detention staff, 
proper equipment being supplied because there still is a pandemic on. What's the status of it now? Was ICE responsive to you, and has La Palma been responsive to ICE? ICE agreed with some of our recommendations but disagreed with others. We're obviously engaged in an active process of ensuring that ICE comply with the recommendations. We do that by asking for the production of documents and other evidence to show changes in policy and practice. There have been some specific changes. For example, one of our recommendations, number four, requires that ICE require La Palma staff to complete and document medication administration and daily face-to-face medical visits with detainees in segregation, which is a form of isolation in the La Palma facility. And we made that recommendation to ensure detainee health and welfare. In the aftermath, ICE gave us a corrective action plan and also conducted a follow-up inspection showing compliance with this particular recommendation. So that is one area of good news. Likewise, recommendation five, we made that ICE ensure La Palma's medical unit is appropriately refilling and administering detainees' medication. ICE enlisted a detention services manager and issued a new policy to clarify that it is the duty of the medical unit to refill medication, and such refill should not be dependent upon a detainee filing a sick call request. All right. Does this spur you to look at some of the other contractor facilities then? Is this a widespread phenomenon, the use of contractors to operate detention facilities for immigration? It's certainly a widespread phenomenon. An estimated up to 70% of the facilities holding immigration detainees are privately owned and operated. But we need not be spurred to action solely based upon what we found in La Palma. For years, we have conducted annual unannounced inspections of ICE detention facilities. We're statutorily mandated to do that. And we actually have presently a wide audit ongoing to look across all 200 detention facilities and specifically look at the use of segregation, which is, as I mentioned, the isolation of specific detainees, whether for administrative or disciplinary reasons. So we're looking at the use of solitary confinement across all ICE detention facilities in an audit that should be released sometime in the near future, four to six months from now, hopefully. Yeah, so to put it in the vernacular, you turned over a rock and now there's a lot of work to do. There's certainly a lot of work to do. And by the way, the people that are held in detention are here for violating immigration laws, but they're not held under criminal statutes, correct? That's exactly right. Immigration is a civil body of law, and immigration detainees are held for civil confinement, not criminal confinement. And yet the conditions in many of these settings have been modeled after criminal confinement facilities. Ellen McSweeney is a senior advisor to the Office of Inspector General at Homeland Security. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm happy to have joined you and look forward to future audiences with you. Glenn's Klar is Principal Deputy Inspector General of DHS. Glenn, good to have you on. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate it. We'll post this interview along with a link to that La Palma report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, Great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, All of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, 
figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation, uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group Affinity Insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, I've led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. 
And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.